The Exordium is a special address every year on the three major festivals of the church here, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. It's not based on any text, but essentially it's, it's the pastors, my welcome to you on this festival day itself. It's a tradition unique to our church body, the ELS. There is no other American church that I know of that does this. And it's one that's continued since the 16th century. Some might consider this exordium, this little mini-sermon, uh, not based on any text, to, to be extra extemporaneous work, some, some unnecessary work in an already jam-packed and busy time of year. And yet, I find it incredibly joyful. And this is why. Because it means that for nearly 500 years, Christians like you have been, have been waking up early on Christmas morning and truly putting the most important thing in front of your families. And not presents, not family snuggle time, but Christ. And, and their pastors get to, to greet them in the pure joy of the day itself. Not in the joy over the weather or the gifts or the amount of people or in any other thing, but the pure joy of Christmas. And it also means that for that same amount of time that Christians like you have in return greeted their pastors like me in their pulpits by singing the Christmas message in response for nearly 500 years, arising and commanding their pastors to rejoice, rejoice this happy morn. Because sometimes even pastors have difficulty rejoicing. But your hymn to me, your command to me, is truly the gospel preached to my ears. And what a reason you and I have to rejoice because the everlasting light has been born into the world, this dark world. The Alpha and the Omega, the maker of all things, has become a man. And so that means that even if our Christmas traditions change, if exordiums stop being said and sung, if, if Silent Night is forgotten, still there will always be Christians who rejoice in the message of a God come to save them. Christ is the source and the ending, sitting at the right hand of his Father. Christ is in control of all things, and Christ is in control of his church. Christ is, a, is the salvation of all mankind, and Christ is the hope that future years shall see, evermore and evermore. And so let us, like so many Christians before us, and God willing, so many Christians after us, rejoice and rise and sing our festival hymn, Rejoice, Rejoice, Rejoice This Happy Morn.
creation. Give him praise and adoration. Our sermon text is recorded by the Holy Spirit in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and we read as follows in Jesus' name. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets at many times and in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of the divine nature. He sustains all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high. The Son became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be his Father, and he will be my Son. And again, when he brought his firstborn into the world, he said, Let all God's angels worship him. About the angels, he says, He makes his messengers winds and his ministers flaming fire. But about the Son, he says, God, your throne is forever and ever, and the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And he says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all become old like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, and they will be changed like a garment. But you are the same, and your years will never end. And we pray. These words are your words, Heavenly Father, then they are the truth. Sanctify us by the truth, by Jesus, the Word. Amen. If you could imagine the darkest place in relatively modern history, you'd be hard-pressed to find a darker place than Germany amidst and during the two world wars. There's a true story that's been told of a young boy named Gunther. Gunther was born severely mangled and deformed in 1914. He was forsaken by his own mother and left to live his earliest years in a back room of his grandmother's house. Eventually, he was finally brought to a Lutheran institution of mercy called Bethel. And for the first time in Gunther's life, he, he was no longer seen as a shameful piece of human junk, but a beloved child of God. Before coming to Bethel, however, Gunther did not know of Christmas. Before each day was no different than the next, as each day was dark and dirty and dim. But now at Bethel, for the first time, the, the whole community moved with the ever-changing rhythm of the church year, including singing with joy at Christmas uh, a hymn like Gerhardt's, O Jesus Christ, thy manger is my paradise at which my soul reclineth. And all of this seemed to contradict everything that Gunther had experienced so far in his life. Nothing was a paradise. 
No one had loved him. All he ever heard were complaints. And so in the, in the glow of the candles, while everyone else was, was overcome with, with warm feelings, Gunther does what he knows. And he throws up his hands and, and, he, and his complaint, there's a crack in everything. Gunther reveals something about Christmas. For him, there was no feeling of Christmas. For him, there was only the feeling of fear and inadequacy and disappointment. And his complaint turned into a cry for help. What's so great about Christmas? The other children there replied with some jumbled and not always coherent answers or some simple truisms like uh, uh, Christmas is the 25th of December or Christ is born in Bethlehem. But finally, one girl answered his question, what's so great about Christmas, with Gunther's initial complaint. Because there's a crack in everything. And the pastor there, Pastor Fritz, took up that answer and he said, it's true, Gunther, there is a crack in everything. And God sees the crack better than we do. And the crack is so much worse than we think it is. And God sent his son from the heavenly home to our earthly home, not to patch up the crack, but to make everything new. That is why Christmas is so great. The book of Hebrews is God's answer to the question, why is Christmas so great? It's not the animals in the stable. It's not the stars in the sky. It's not the silent night. It's not the peace in the air. It's not some adoring shepherds, not some fancy wise men, not a pondering mother, not a stalwart father. It's not even a cute baby. Some of those are conjectures anyway. It probably wasn't a silent night. And, there was, and we know from Isaiah 53 that, that Jesus himself was not that attractive looking. He, he, Isaiah says there was nothing in his appearance that would draw people to him. And that was probably true even when he was a baby. But all of those things give us the, the warm Christmas feelings, right? Those, those pictures of Christmas, the, those idyllic pictures of Christmas, they give us the warm feelings. But if that's all Christmas is, a feeling, then Christmas is meaningless. Rather, Christmas is great because God sees every fault, every sin, every crack. He sees all, the lowly, the poor, the dejected, the lonely, the hurt, and God himself comes to it. God doesn't send a prophet. He doesn't send an angel. God doesn't say a, a Christmas greeting card or a card saying, get well soon. He doesn't even send a Snapchat or an email. God sends Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the exact image of the Father. He's not the Father, but he's one substance with the Father. And because he is of one substance with the Father, he is the one by whom all things are made. 
John writes, Through him everything was made, and without him not one thing was made that has been made. Jesus knows how everything should be because he made it. But it isn't that way. It's been ruined. And so he himself inserts himself into that ruined creation and becomes like it. He is mangled and deformed by his humiliation and suffering. Jesus is cracked by torture, temptation, death, and the devil. But even while he is mangled and deformed on earth, Jesus is still equal in glory and radiance to the Father. Even though he is made to be lower than the angels, the angels still worship him. And even though he, he, he is below them according to his humanity, according to his divinity, he rules over them and commands them not to minister to him, but to minister to us. He chooses to suffer so that we can be healed. Jesus is also eternally begotten of the Father. He's eternal, without beginning, without end. His throne is forever and ever. And yet, Jesus, who, who has no end as God, dies as true man. Because he rules his throne unlike any king who has ever lived uh, or rules on earth. Jesus rules with the scepter of righteousness. And he gave up his own perfect life for his people. Jesus has loved righteousness and hated wickedness so much that he willingly gave up his own life in order to redeem the world from evil. I think about this. If it was possible for you or for me to be, to be perfect and without sin, in theory, we could save ourselves. Or I could try trade my life, my, my perfect life, if, if I had one, for, for somebody else's and save them. I do this with my confirmation students. I make them think of a teeter-totter. Uh, to balance a teeter-totter out, you need two, uh, one person uh, of equal weight on both sides. One person to balance out another person. So one person's holiness could balance out another person's sin. But the problem is, each and every person, each and every thing in this world is not just tainted with sin, but filled with sin. There is nothing, no human, that can balance all of that out. But God can. So God becomes man. And so that means the entire world is purified from sins. The original and deep crack in every single person and in every single thing in this world is restored. And so because God did what God cannot do by his nature, die, man will do what we cannot by our nature. Rise from death and live. Because Jesus rose from death. Jesus exchanges our cracks, our faults, our sins, our fears with his holiness, his peace, his heaven. 
We are heirs of everything Jesus owns, everything that belongs to Jesus, because Jesus made himself our brother. This is why Christmas is great. And you confess this whenever you say the Nicene or Athanasian creeds. God became man, not just to hang out with us, but to become one of us, to restore us, to save us, not to just fill our cracks, but make us new. And he continues doing this because he is God's last word. In the past, God was content to speak to our forefathers by the prophets at many times and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. When God gives his word, he cannot change it. He cannot go back on it. And that's especially true of his last word, of his last testament. The last and final testament is when he says that his blood is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. He hasn't folded up his humanity like a garment. He rolls it out to you in bread and wine. This is the reason Christmas is called Christmas. Christmas literally means the Mass on Christ's Day. We generally call it the Lord's Supper on the morning of Christmas. This is the eternal Word born to you today. The Word becomes flesh, true body and true blood. God's promise that you can actually see, touch, and taste. And this word and this blood speak better things than we could ever imagine. Because all we have ever known in this world is fear and inadequacy and disappointment. And all we see is the cracked surface of a wafer and a cup. And so we cry out, what's so great about Christ's Mass? And God responds by declaring, you are forgiven. You are healed. You are no longer cracked or mangled or broken. You are made new. You are beautiful. You are family. You are made a child of God. Heaven is yours. So what makes Christmas great? God is still the Word made flesh, true God and true man, who continues redeeming us and making us new. Nothing in this world can change that. Merry Christmas. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.